Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Welcome to River Valley Christian Fellowship. Uh, If you're a guest with us, if you're new here, thanks for coming today. I'm uh, excited that you are here. Uh, You can be turning your Bibles to Acts 15. We're going to get there in just a little bit. I'm going to catch you up with some story, make sure you kind of understand. We're talking about what it looks like as a church for us to be intentionally multi-ethnic. And so uh, two weeks ago, we talked about that wherever you were born, however you look, the time that you were born, whatever the circumstances of your birth, that God chose those to maximize the opportunity for you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. God wants you to be saved. God wants you to be saved. In fact, one of the hallmarks, uh, one of the true values of River Valley is that we believe that God wants everyone everywhere to be saved. We truly believe that. And you're like, well, where did you get that? Let me give you a verse. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, God, our Savior, wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God made you the way you are, where you are, so that he could uh, knock on your heart's door and come in and save you from your sins. So we, as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to reorient ourselves, and we need to reorient ourselves in thinking of people in terms of their spiritual condition, whether they are saved or lost, because if they're saved, then they're a fellow brother or sister in Jesus Christ. If they're lost, we want to make sure that we can accommodate them so that they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved. And so we want to do those things so that they are saved. And so that's God's plan. That's how he orchestrated it from the very beginning. We find, uh, we're going to be in Acts 15, but we find the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. God uh, births his church, and from the very beginning, the church was born multi-ethnic. From the very, I mean, the literal moment of conception, the church was born multi-ethnic. God spoke to each person that was in Jerusalem. They were there at the, at the, uh, a feast of Pentecost, and God spoke to them through Peter's sermon, but they all heard in their own languages. And so it was this miracle that God made sure that every single person from every single background heard his voice or heard his gospel in their own native tongue. And so God uh, brought uh, multi-ethnicity into the church in the very beginning of it. That's how the church was born. Now, that, that creates somewhat of a, of a weird circumstance. Think about if we had, let's say, 15 different ethnicities and 15 different languages within this room, and we all came together as a church, that would be uh, not just multi-ethnic, but it would be multicultural, and all of a sudden we would begin to see, oh, y'all do, y'all do things differently. Oh, y'all, y'all I mean, the, 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 not just the languages, but the way that we were raised, our backgrounds, all of those things would come together. Together, and we would find out very quickly, wow, we've got a lot of diversity here in the way we do that. And so now all of a sudden the church has not a problem, but an opportunity for sure. Because what do you do when you have tons of different backgrounds, tons of different thoughts, tons of different cultures all together within the church? How do we learn to make this thing work? 
and to get along well. Well, that's what Acts 15 teaches us. How we get along in the church and make sure that as different ethnicities collide, that we are going to uh, get along in that way. So, the first question is, when you come into church, what takes priority? Culture or Christ? What takes your priority, your culture that you were raised in, how you were raised, or Christ? What, what does that look like? You've got to decide where your priority is. And I told you uh, two weeks ago that all of us are going to come across this moment where we're like, oh, that's different. The Bible says something different than the way I was raised or the way I was taught. And so we've got to learn what comes first, Jesus and the Bible and the way he's presented or the way we were raised or the way that we were thought. And all of us are going to come into conflict with that. So what takes priority in that? And we've got as believers choose Christ. Now, let me show you a group of people that chose culture that caused this initial problem. So Acts 15 verse 1. So some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem about this issue. So what takes priority? This group of people is saying, oh, it's fine if you believe in Christ, but you've got to do it our way. You've got to accept our background, our culture. Now, for the Jews, the sign of them being in the covenant was circumcision. So, in the New Testament, it's baptism. But in the Old Testament, and, and where they're at right now, it was circumcision. And so, they're saying, it's fine if you accept Jesus, but you have to be circumcised as well. Now, that's a much harder message to preach. Won't you agree? I mean, you don't have quite as many converts in that way. So, you're like, I'm so glad you accepted Jesus. There's just one more thing you need to do. What's that? You're like, well, let's go to the doctor. So, so it's a little bit harder to get converts that way, isn't it? And so some of you now have to go home and explain to your children, you're welcome. All right, so there we go. <laughs> Several years ago, I preached out of a text like that, and a man sent his 15-year-old daughter up to me, and she goes, my dad said, you have to explain it to me. Because... <laughs> All right, here we go. And uh, so, so uh, they're, they're, they're adding to, what they're doing is they're saying it's, it's grace plus something for salvation. You've got to have grace plus something. And the problem with this method and this thinking is once you start adding to the gospel, once you start adding, well, Jesus saves you, but you need this. Well, Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives your sins. But to really have that, you need his sacrifice plus this thing, well, then let me tell you what, it begins to roll and it begins to uh, uh, expand very, very, very quickly. And so they wanted not just in verse 5, let me show you verse 5. So they say circumcision, and then they go and they have a meeting. And in verse 5, it says, but some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, they stood up and they said, it's necessary to circumcise, which we just saw, and they're adding, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. See what they're doing? 
well, if we can do Jesus plus circumcision, we can do Jesus plus circumcision plus all the law. And there's 600, over 600 laws in the Mosaic Covenant. So now all of a sudden we've got to get you circumcised and you've got to learn all these 600 incredibly difficult laws that are only meant to show you that you can't do it. That's the point of the law, to show you that you can't obey enough in order to be righteous with God, that he has to give his righteousness to you. So they keep adding and keep adding and keep adding. Wouldn't that be frustrating every week for you to come in and go, law number eight, law number 58, law number 137, and every week we keep adding these heavy burdens to you of what you must do in order to be saved. That's what they're trying to do. They chose their culture over Jesus Christ, and so they want all of these. So, the believers are going to go, and now they're going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to, uh, this is where all the elders were, this is where uh, the original apostles were, and they're going to say, okay, let's decide. Let's make, let's not let this uh, disrupt what God is doing in the church, so let's have this official meeting. And so, I want to show you uh, what Peter says about it in verse 8 and 9. Now, let me make sure you understand when you talk Jews and Gentiles, you are talking a level of racism that even those of you, who, even those who have experienced the biggest amount of racism in this group, still it pales in comparison. Jews and Gentiles in this day hated each other. Not one or two here and one or two there, all of them here and all of them there. It was a profound, profound racism. They did not mix. They did not get along. They did not talk to each other. They did not tolerate each other. And I said to you two weeks ago that in some places racism isn't a problem because there's only one race and they preach superiority and everyone else is just no problem. So it's not that racism is okay. It's just that it's so pervasive and so accepted. There's just no deal. But that's not the world in which we live in as, as believers in Jesus Christ. We believe what we're about to read, that God loves people. And God made people to be saved. God made people in his image, and he wants them to be saved. And so they're trying to get them to uh, accept all of this external stuff in this incredibly tense environment. And in verse 8, here's what God, or Peter says. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them. He's, he, Peter's a Jew. He's talking about the Gentiles, about the others uh, who are coming into the uh, faith. And he's giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Verse 9, he made no distinction between, uh, between us and them. He cleansed their heart by faith. So he says, you need to understand, yes, there is tension, yes, there is racism, and yes, they are a different uh, ethnicity than us, but I am here to tell you that God makes no distinction, that God created every shade that we see. God created men and women, and they are in the image of God, and he loves them, and he wants to bring them into the family of God. And so Peter is saying here, hey, the foundation of all of this is not whether you obey the law. It's whether Jesus is in your heart, and Jesus has come to save you, and you need to be assured that no matter what you look like, he loves you. He made you to be saved. He made you in his image. You are an image bearer of Jesus Christ and there's no distinction. And so we as believers, we put Christ first. We put culture way down below that. And when we do that, guess what? People get saved. 
people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let me give you two examples, one that didn't work and one that did based on this truth. So uh, if you think about Texas, I mean, think about the Alamo. The Alamo is a Spanish mission. It was a mission church long before the, the battle was fought there. And so when you think about, there are all of these missions all over, uh, especially the Southwest, but in Texas. And they are Catholic missions that came out of Mexico or Spain. And they were trying to convert, in large part, uh, the Native American, the Indian population. Now, wonderful idea. They put incredible amounts of resources and money into that. Great idea, and man, praise God uh, that people were coming to tell people about the gospel. Problem was the way they were presenting it. They were presenting to Indians, and they were basically saying, let's tell you about Jesus, but as soon as you accept him, guess what? No more buffalo hunting. No more living in teepees. No more, I mean, anything. You had to basically accept uh, their way of doing life. You need to become a farmer. You need to get out of the plains and, and, and this migratory lifestyle. You need to come and build a city and a town. And so uh, they were incredibly unsuccessful. Very few converts. There were lots of people who were like, oh, we got saved whenever they wanted something, but then they would go back to their way. It wasn't a successful way of presenting the gospel because it was the gospel plus you have to be like us. You have to look like us. You have to do things the way that we want you to do them. And it was very unsuccessful. Now, let me show you someone who's successful. Let me show you a picture. This is Hudson Taylor. This is uh, in 1832, a picture of him in 1832 as he is leaving uh, uh, the United Kingdom, he's leaving Britain, and he's going to China. Hudson Taylor would be one of the very first missionaries to bring the gospel to China. He's one of the most famous missionaries in all of history. He had way fewer resources. Uh, he had no uh, kingdom backing like the Spanish uh, missions did. He had way uh, less money. He had way less prayer cover, but he had an idea. I'm going to bring the gospel to the Chinese the way the Chinese will know it. So this is what Hudson Taylor looked like when he left England. Let me show you a picture, next picture of Hudson Taylor as he preached the gospel to the Chinese. You see the difference? Look at his robes. Look at his hat. In fact, they say in the later years of, of Hudson Taylor ministry, he was there for 51 years, that people would come to China and they would think he was Chinese. He had so acclimated himself to their culture and their background. Did it work? Hudson Taylor was the first of 800 missionaries who went to the China Inland Mission. He was also uh, one of the ones who set up over 300 stations around China uh, in his lifetime, seeing 18,000 converts, one single man. Why? Because he understood the gospel. God wants to bring the gospel to you in the way that you'll hear it. And there's some things in your back now. Now, be, we got to be careful here. I'm not saying everything in your background is okay. I'm not saying the gospel is Jesus loves you just the way you are. All right, that, no, no. God, God says you sin. And so I'm not saying that we don't have to change, but I am saying that there's a lot within our culture. There's a lot within our background that God says, I made you that way. I brought you into that culture. I brought you into that time. I brought you into those circumstances so that you could find me as Lord. And so we want you uh, to accept Christ, and we want you, you're welcome in, in River Valley, and you're welcome in the kingdom of God to keep as much of your culture as, as is not uh, overturned by the Bible, as what God has said. Now, 
When that happens, though, here's where we get to the problem. You've got a culture, you've got a background, you've got a way of thinking, you've got a way of doing, and all of us come together. That's going to create tension. That's going to create problems. And it certainly did within the New Testament church. So how did they get, uh, what was their idea? First of all, I want you to see, and I'm going to show you another uh, 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 passage next week, that the idea was not, well, you people go over here, you people have this, you people have, it's not separation. The New Testament church was born multi-ethnic from the very beginning. So it's not that this color of people go here, this color of people go here. That's that's not the way the New Testament sets it up. In fact, it shows us, okay, we do get along, and there are moments of cultural tension, but we have to learn how to manage those. We have to learn how to uh, become and come together. So we are one in Christ. We're not all the same in background. We're not all the same in culture, and that's okay. So what was their opinion? How did they make sure that we get this thing done correctly? So the church writes a letter back to all of the other churches. And I'm going to read verse 22 and following. So they talk about all, by the way, all of that was just background. All right, so there we go. So you're like, here we go. All right, so all of that's background. Here's how they say, okay, if you're going to be a multi-ethnic church, here's how you have to operate. And I'm going to break it down for you. So verse 22, so the apostles and the elders, the whole church decided to select men who were among them and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. They wrote, so they're writing a letter and they're saying, this is what you should do. From the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings, since we have heard that some from our, without our authorization, went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts. We have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you, along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who will personally report the same things by word of mouth for it was the holy spirit's decision so this is god's decision and ours not to place burdens on you beyond these requirements now here they are verse 29 you abstain from food offered to idols from blood from eating anything that has been strangled and from sexual immorality you will do well if you keep yourself from these things farewell So this right here, this uh, one verse in verse 29 shows us in cultures how to get along when cultures clash, how we do it. So I'm going to break it down for you and show those. He says three things. First of all, you've got to abstain from food that's offered to idols. Second of all, from blood. And third, from sexual immorality. So let me explain those each in turn. So abstain from food offered to idols. So some of us right there, you're like, that has no bearing on us because I've never eaten you know, like an idol steak. I've, I've never eaten that. So let me explain to you what's going on. So in these days, especially meat is an incredibly high commodity. Most people don't eat much meat. So when they do, they, in order to thank whatever God they had, they would get the meat, they would take it to their temple, they would, they would thank God for it, the priest would cut off a part for himself, and then they would go back home and they would eat the meat, and they would act, this was a 
a, a, a type of worship. This was, so some of you do the same thing. I mean, some of you, you're like, as soon as a steak, you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. All right, that's all that's happening here, right? And so, so uh, you, you offer food sacrificed to idols. Now, what's happening? A Christian goes to someone's house and they say, hey, we're having steaks tonight. You're like, yes. And then they're like, but we, and, and we want you to know that we offered our steak to our God first. And the Bible says, he says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't mix Christianity and other religions. Don't go and worship in foreign places. Don't go, well, we don't want to offend them. Well, no, 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 no. Let me give you a word. The word is syncretism. Let me spell it. S-Y-N-C-R-E-T-I-S-M. Syncretism. Syncretism is merging two ways of thinking into one by combining both beliefs. So in other words, I take some of Christianity over here and some of this religion over here, and I make sure that we get along by making sure that both ways are synchronized together. So it's fine. You feel comfortable. I feel comfortable. And the Bible specifically says, do not do that. Be uniquely and solely a believer in Jesus Christ. Do not go and worship other idols. Do not eat meat sacrifice to idols because it is a form of worship and you are communicating to those people that you're with well you have your beliefs I have my beliefs I know you've probably never heard this today but whatever you believe is fine whatever I believe is fine we'll all just get along that's the hallmark of our day and as believers in Jesus Christ, we are the ones that say, no, 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 Jesus is the only way. He's the way and the truth and the life. And we will not blend other religions. We will not blend other things that are specifically unchristian into our life. We are Christians only. And so we don't as believers say, well, you know, sometimes I just check my horoscope just to see. Well, you know, sometimes just for fun, we, we go to the fortune teller and just see what he says. We, we don't do that because it's unchristian. We are specifically and solely believers in Jesus Christ. We do not take anything from other religions and allow those things into our life. The Bible warns us those can be gateways to the demonic. That those can be open doors to other spirits coming in and having rule and reign in our life. So do not accommodate any religion, any means of worship that are not specifically Christian. Now, I want to tell you, because some of you are right now thinking about your next Thanksgiving meal, because it's about to get weird, right? You, I mean, because you got, you got an aunt over here that does this, you've got, and so you've got all of these things, and you're like, how am I going to manage the tension of what he's saying right now that I can't be a part of those, and all of a sudden, I have to, or I, you know, I mean, if I don't, Christmas will be ruined kind of a thing, all right? So how do you deal with that? First of all, the Bible says you abstain from those things. Things. I see a lot of people getting in trouble in Christianity and that they try to get their, their lost, especially relatives, to act like them. And I'm here to tell you, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't try to get them to abstain food from idols because what if they do? They're like, well, I stopped eating food for, from an idol. Well, you're still not saved. I mean, is that dramatically better? No, 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 no. You highlight Jesus Christ. 
You highlight who he is and what he does in your life. Don't try to get them to act Christian. Tell them about Jesus, how good he is. And I find a lot of people make this mistake. I find a lot of parents who have maybe adult children or I find a lot of people who have, you know, brothers and sisters when they're raised or those type of things or, or they get saved and now they go back to their parents and, and they don't live that life and they try to do, why don't you just quit doing this? Why don't you just stop doing that? And, and instead of just talking about Jesus and what he has done for you, don't try to get them to start acting Christian. It won't work. And even if they start acting Christian, they're still not Christians. So get them, uh, give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the, the, the verse still holds true. I mean, there is like a moment where you're like, hey, if you're going to do that, we're out. We're out, and we want a relationship. We're trying not to sever this relationship within our family, but our first priority is Jesus Christ. And so we're not going to put, especially if you have little kids, it's very confusing to little kids because they're like, well, you know, aunt so-and-so does it or uncle, you know, and, and, and it's very confusing. No, we are explicitly believers. And so walk that, walk that line, but try to maintain that friendship the very best you can. Number two, he says, or so first he says, don't eat food sacrificed to idols. So he's talking about bringing different types of worship. Number two, blood, don't eat blood or things that have been strangled. I'm going to go specifically with blood because it's the easiest one. <clears throat> now, if you were raised well, you learned from the very beginning of time and to this very day, you know the truth about steak, which it is meant to be eaten medium rare. Okay, so write that down. It's important. If you, if you are one of those weirdos who order a well-done steak, it's, it, you're ruining it. You, I mean, you're just like, here, have a piece of leather. That's good. All right, I'm telling you, don't do that. Medium rare is God's intention. All right, but the problem is what happens with medium rare? Some of you can't do it because you're like, as soon as you cut into it, you see some blood come out. And some of you right now, I can see your face going, some of you are like, then some of you are like, oh, all right. So think about if you're a Jew. <clears throat> Jews do not do blood. I mean, seriously, ever. Not every once in a while, not one of them sneaks off and has a medium rare steak. They never do it. So if you've got a culture that never does blood and you watch someone eat a medium rare steak, you are, I mean, ew. I mean, you are completely and totally turned off. It is disgusting to you. You can't, you can't get over it. You absolutely can't get over it. And so this is not the idea of right and wrong. This is the idea of, of cultural understanding what people think and how they operate. And if I eat a medium rare steak in front of a Jew, he or she is not going to listen to a word I say. It doesn't matter because they can't get over the blood thing. They can't. They will not get over it, no matter what. And as a believer, I can't go, well, you just should get over it. No, they're not. That It will not happen, and they won't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because they can't get over it. They're not going to get over it. It's in who they are. So I, as a believer, choose something else to eat, or I crank up my steak and have a piece of leather because those are the options because them hearing the gospel is more important than my preference and how I eat meat. 
So you've got to be careful when you deal with other cultures. There's some things that are so embedded in a culture that if you do it, even if it's not necessarily wrong, they won't hear it. They won't hear the gospel. And the gospel in their life is more important than me always having my way in the way I like it. See, that's why this whole thing started. Because the Pharisees were saying, no, it's all about me. It's all about my way. You do it my way. I'm at the center, and you look to me. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we say, he's in the center. And if I'm doing anything that... um, uh, that, that uh, keeps people uh, because of cultural backgrounds from hearing the gospel, then I'm going to change the way I do things because I want them to hear about Jesus. Now, when I, I told you I studied, this, I studied these passages of Scripture for six months. I'm about to give you one of the two illustrations that I thought would probably anger a few people. Here we go. All right, you ready? So, let me give you a modern-day uh, uh, illustration. So, Uh, It's not quite as prevalent in Texas uh, as it is in the Deep South, but many places in the Deep South still are are, uh, very much uh, fly the Confederate flag. And the Confederate flag is a symbol uh, for people, uh, for many people, of racism, of slavery, of bigotry. And so I'm going to show you an illustration that I think this is the most, oh, this is an awesome illustration. Now, you got to understand what's going on, so I'm going to explain it to you. So this is a clip from the 2016 Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Now, I know right away you're like, what? That's going to be awesome, right? No, no, all right. So if you've ever been to a a formal denominational meeting like this, it's very formal. You make resolutions, and then you have to get a second and amendments and all these things and pass them, okay? So 2016, uh, somebody in the Southern Baptist Convention uh, had a resolution that says, you know, we should should distance, as believers, uh, we should distance ourselves from the Confederate flag because for many, it is a symbol of racism. And so they took that to the floor. Well, then as oftentimes do in large group meetings, that message got watered down. And the message, they added an addendum which basically said, now for some people, it's okay. You know, they're not trying to be racism. It's about their past. It's about their heritage. about their culture. And so, uh, this is on the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention when they're about to vote on this issue. And you're going to see an amendment by a pastor from Atlanta. His name is James Merritt, and he's going to make an amendment. He's going to read the original statement, and he's going to say, let's get rid of that for for those who would be turned off by this wishy-washy language, and then he's going to tell people why, and that's what I want you to hear. So, uh, watch this clip. Yes, sir. My name is James Merritt. I'm a messenger from Cross Point Church in Duluth, Georgia. Mr. President, I'd like to amend the motion, and if I get a second, I'd like to speak to it. I would move that we delete paragraph 6, which reads, whereas we recognize that the Confederate battle flag serves for some not as a symbol of hatred, bigotry, and racism, but as a memorial to their loved ones who died in the Civil War and an emblem to honor their loved ones' valor. And then I would like to move that reword, re, reword paragraph 12 to read as follows, resolved that we call our brothers and sisters in Christ to discontinue the display of the Confederate battle flag as a sign of solidarity of the whole body of Christ, including our African-American brothers and sisters. All right, the amendment has been offered and 
If you have a copy of that amendment, would you be sure that we receive a copy immediately? Yes, sir. All right, you may be able to speak to your amendment, Dr. Merritt, so go right ahead. My fellow Southern Baptist, I'm not speaking to you today just as a pastor of a church. I am the great-great-grandson of two men who fought in the Confederate Army. One is buried in a Confederate cemetery in Lynchburg, Virginia. One fought in the battle of my hometown, Atlanta, Georgia. I cannot undo what they fought for, but they cannot undo what I wish they had done and what I pray we will do today. Make no mistake, this is a seminal moment in our convention. I believe that God has brought the SBC to both the kingdom and our culture for such a time as this. What we do today with this issue will reverberate through this nation, not just today, but I believe a hundred years from now. This is not a matter of political correctness. It is a matter of spiritual conviction and biblical compassion. We have a golden opportunity to say to every person of every race, ethnicity, and nationality that Southern Baptists are not a people of any flag. We march under the banner of the cross of Jesus and the grace of God. Today, we can say loudly and clearly to a world filled with racial strife and division that Southern Baptists are not in the business of building barriers and burning bridges. We're about building bridges and tearing down barriers. So I close with this. There is one thing no one can deny. This flag is a stumbling block to many African-American souls to our witness. And I rise to say that all the Confederate flags in the world are not worth one soul of any race. Did you hear that? I, uh, I, man, that is powerful. It is unbelievably powerful. This is not about political correctness, changing the way that you act and think in order to accommodate people who are different than you, people of color, so that they can hear the gospel. That's not political correctness, it's Christianity. It's for us to say, you know what, we'll give that up so that you can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love at the very end, we say that all the Confederate flags in the world are not worth one soul are not worth one. And we have to, we, we live in this world sometimes where people are like, well, that's not what I mean by it. Well, that's, that's what some people think of it. And we must be willing to put our preferences aside for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what this verse is talking about. We must be willing to say, how do you hear what I'm saying? And if you are hearing something different than the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I will change the way I act. I will change the way I, I uh, view things. I will change the way I look so that people, all colors, all creeds, all nationalities, all ethnicities will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll put my preferences below those things. And when we do that, then guess what? We truly accommodate multi-ethnic. We truly accommodate people who grew up differently than us and think differently than us. And we say to them, I love you more than anything because Jesus loves you and died for you. Amen?
Amen. And we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to avoid anything that would come against our witness in Jesus Christ. Number three is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. So in this day, we often hear, and you often hear it over and over, and we hear it so often that we believe it, and it's not true. We hear this all the time. Well, it's the worst it's ever been. I, I, I've heard people say it's the worst, like culturally, like in America today, this is the worst it's ever been. That's not true. That is absolutely, now I'm not saying we're like rocking it out, but by any means, we, it is not the worst it's ever been. Jesus' day had a much higher rate of divorce, a much higher rate of murder, a much higher rate of sexual immorality, much higher. And so when we look at uh, cultural ethics and how we, how we uh, uh, look and respond, there have been a lot worse times. Now, we've got a lot of issues today, and we need to work on those issues. But when we simply say, well, oh, it's the worst it's ever been, like almost like, well, this is just the way it is, then we miss out on the opportunities that verses like this lead us to. You see, in this day, it, you actually could go to some uh, false religions, and they would actually have temple prostitutes. Sexual immorality was everywhere within this culture. And so the believers in Jesus, he says, look, if we claim to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we cannot sit there in the same moment and act as if we act like everyone else when it comes to sexuality. We can't do that because it's a, it's a false narrative. It's saying, oh, Jesus has transformed me, yet I, I act like everyone else. We can't do that. And we live in a day that uh, sexual ethics and how to, how to live and how to act are pervasive all over the place. So let me tell you what the Bible says. There's a word in the Bible uh, is often translated, this, this word is one of them. It's translated sexual immorality. That word is porneia, P-O-R-N-E-I-A in Greek. And it means simply sex out of bounds. That's what it means. Sexual immorality is sex out of bounds. Sex out of bounds is any sex outside of a man and woman in a marriage relationship. Any sex outside of that is sex out of bounds. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, we believe that God has given us uh, uh, sexuality for it to be celebrated in marriage alone. And that all sexuality outside of that is uh, not right, is, is against God's will, and is practiced pervasively in our society. And so one of the ways that we can show God has changed us and transformed us is that we keep sexuality within the marriage confines. And within the marriage confines, God uh, has blessed us, and God has given us great freedom. But outside of that, it goes outside of bounds. And so God says, don't take sex out of bounds. And so any of the issues that you're thinking about or asking about, well, what about well, what about, well, what about, well, what about? Ask, is that one man, one woman in a marriage relationship? If not, then it's out of bounds. And it's against the will of God. I think this is the one, uh, you know, so many times we, we talk about different issues. And for people that come to River Valley, I think this is a huge issue. I'm telling you, I think this is a huge issue. That we've got to get our sexual immorality under control in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to be willing to say, this is the way we act. This is the way we operate. This is what we preach as true. It is getting very quickly to be uh, very old-fashioned looking and thinking. I get that. It is. But it is a witness to the world. 
It is a witness to those who are around us that we would say, we live in this, God has given us, we enjoy it when we are in these bounds, but outside of it, it can be very destructive, very harmful, and so we want to stay within those things, and we want to live our lives in a different way. Now, if you come from a culture, and I don't mean your, your, your shade of your skin, but if you come from a place and a group of people, whoever you were raised with, and they teach something different. They teach, well, you got you to gotta live together before you get married to see if it's compatible. compatible. Well, you know, that's, that's just old. That's just, you know, and they teach, uh, you, know, uh, you know, people, well, you know, that's just the way it is. We're, we're sexual animals and we just can't help ourselves or whatever it is that you were taught. If you were taught anything outside of sex, outside of bounds is wrong, then you need to put Christ and you need to put the Bible above everything else in your culture. You need to listen to the Word of God. Some of you right now need to go and have very direct, today-oriented conversations about your living arrangements. Because by what I've just said, you are living in sin, and you need to get it right. And you need to repent before a holy God. Now listen, this is the way we do repentance at River Valley. I have, I've done this many times, and I've seen so many people do it successfully. We're not great Christians because we never sin. We are great Christians when we are confronted with sin, and we step away from it, and we repent. So if you are living in a, in a, in a relationship that is practicing sexuality outside of marriage, uh, here's, here's your options of repentance. First of all, if children are there, you need to talk to them and say, we did wrong. We did wrong. You must actually verbalize those things because that is part of your repentance because you've told, uh, you're, you're, you've shown your children through actions, well, you know, it's, it's different. You know, we were both married before. There's no mystique left. That's, that's a really common one in our day. You need to talk to your children about that and say, we're sorry, this was wrong. Number two is you need to separate. You need to separate. Now, I'm not telling you, I get the, the way that you've raised your life is, 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 is tied together. Separate. Humble yourself and call your buddy and say, I need a couch for a week. I do. I, I need a couch for a week. We are, have been living in sin, and we're going to separate, and we're going to go apart, and I'm going to repent before a holy God, and then we're going to come back together and want to be married in God's sight. Or we're not, however you want to do it. But if you don't repent from that, if you just uh, keep on living the way you are or just uh, get it right, then, then what you're doing is you are communicating to a world, Jesus changes us, Jesus forgives us, but I still live like everyone else. We cannot do that as believers. So take this opportunity. I'm telling you, I've had so many people at River Valley do this. I've had so many people. It takes humility, I get it, to tell other people, hey, I shouldn't have done this, I was wrong. But I have had so many people have humble circumstances and literally go and live on a couch for a week, come back together, get married, make it right before God, repent of what they were doing, and do it the correct biblical way, and have gone on to great marriages, have gone on to great marriages. But if you choose to live in that sort of tension, in that sort of sin, think, ah, you know, next week he'll be preaching on someone else and I'll stop feeling uncomfortable, like... I'm not hearing a lot of amens right now, right? Everybody's uncomfortable, got it? And then all of a sudden, guess what? You'll come back. If you'll do it right, you will see the hand of God within your life. You will not find judgment here. You will not. You will find, you will find gladness because, man, I'm, 
that people know. They'll say, man, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful that you, you highlighted the biblical ethic here. And so I want to give you that opportunity and close with this. Verse 7, it's not on the screen, I'm just going to read it. Peter says, brothers and sisters, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth of the Gentiles you would hear the gospel message and believe. You hear what he said? God made a choice, God chose, God desires for you to be here and listening today. God has made a choice. He loves you. He chose, he wanted you to hear. He wanted you to know this message. He wanted you to respond to this message. God made a choice. And what's the message that he wants to respond to you, that he wants you to respond to? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus knew that you could never earn your own salvation. So he came from heaven. He lived in earth, perfect life. He died on the cross for all our sins, past, present, and future. Even the ones if you're convicted about today, Jesus died for those sins to forgive you and set you free. Take advantage of that. Jesus overcame that sin and that he was dead on the cross, he was buried in a tomb, and on the third day he came alive. You can live a resurrected life. You do not have to live in the consequences and the, and the past failures that you've come in. If you will come under the gospel of Jesus Christ, he will set you free. Let him today. It is why we are here. It is the message that we want you to hear. Let Jesus set you free. Let's pray. <clears throat> right where you are today, is there anything in your life, is there anything that you see that is, you, you mix Christianity and anything? Different, different ways of thinking, different religions, your cultural background, whatever that might be, the ways you learn. Is there anything that you need to say, God, I, I thought wrong. I thought incorrectly. I was raised this way. Or for whatever reason, I just picked this up. Or this is the way uh, the world works. But God, I want to be explicitly Christian. I don't want to mix. I don't want to have syncretism in my life. I want to mix the world and Jesus. I want Jesus and Him alone. For some of us, we've used our freedoms in America to alienate different cultures that are prevalent here among us. We are a multi-ethnic country. There aren't many of us in the world that are, that are truly multi-ethnic like America. And that means we have an opportunity to literally see the book of Revelation where every tribe, every tongue, every nation worship at the foot of the cross. It's an amazing opportunity. Not just people like us, but people who are vastly different in the way that they were raised. People who are a different shade of brown like we talked about a few weeks ago. People who have come from a different way of thinking can all come to this place and be at the cross of Jesus Christ. But have you used any of your uh, freedoms in your life to say, but they got to do it my way. I'm not accommodating the way that they think. As a self-centered, selfish way of living. We must be willing to bend our freedoms so that others can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number three, 
do you, are you living in uh, freedom? Are you living in sexual freedom? Are you living within the bonds that God has asked? Anything outside of, of sex outside of marriage is, is wrong, is out of bounds. Listen, the Bible says that we confess our sins to him. So tell him, this is what I've been doing. Just confess. Secondly, repent. I'm not going to do those anymore. If that involves a, uh, you know, you're living together thing, then you need to go home and talk about that and how to make that right. And then ask God for help. How do, we, how do we repent of this? How do we acknowledge some of the damage it might have caused to our, our children, to, to those that we know? And how can we make this right? God has freedom on the other side for people who acknowledge sin and run towards Jesus. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ for you to accept and turn and repent. Jesus, we love you and we praise you, God, for all that you've done in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.